And whether you're quarantined in the house or not, you still don't want your gym bag being all nasty. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure your stuff stays in check. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to your junk. Thanks to their lawnmower 3.0, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. While you're probably at home looking for something to do, why not make manscaping a part of your new routine? You don't want to look like you're sitting on Ming's shoulders from WCW, and you don't want Brutus the Barber Beefcake chomping away down there, and you dang sure don't want to use that Freebird hair removal cream. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with new and improved lawnmower 3.0, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Your goods are going to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Inside the Perfect Package you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. You're probably sitting on the couch like Al Bundy right now anyway, so you might as well keep everything smooth and fresh. Subscribe to the perfect package to get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer briefs this is the perfect package for your perfect package get 20 percent off and free shipping with code slopdrop at manscaped.com that's slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the promo code slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p That's a slot drop. I can answer that. That's a slot drop. What is that move? That's a slot drop. Slot drop time. That's a slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. The slot drop indeed. What's up, humanoids? Welcome back to the Slop Drop. This is Nathan Rogers at Woopig Sumo on Twitter, and we are joined by the unluckiest man in the world, rocking the Hulkamania shirt, Diamond David Chapman. What's up, man? Well, what you gonna do, brother? Brother, that don't work for me. Twenty-three years ago this week, WCW Monday Nitro, September eighth, nineteen ninety-seven, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a little under nine thousand in attendance. Commentators: Tony Schiavone, Mike Tenay. The living legend Larry Zbysko and Bobby the Brain Heenan. WCW Monday Nitro is on the air. We come to you from America's Dairyland, the home of Tease Heads, Beer, Broadwurst, and the Green Bay Packers. Welcome to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and welcome to professional wrestling's champ. We are number one uncontested. We are WCW Monday Nitro. Man, what a, what a team, huh? WCW champions at this time. The world champion was Hollywood Hogan. U.S. champion was Steve Mongo McMichaels. The tag champs were the Outsiders. TV champion was Alex Wright, and the cruiserweight champion was Chris Jericho. Shivani opens the show. Bischoff comes out, interrupts him, and tells production to replay the NWO's parody of Arn Anderson from the week before. Hey, 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 hey! Listen. Get this shit out! 
You stay right where you are. I'll kick you from one end of this Whoa. arena to the other. You stay right where you are, and then I'm going to sue you. Now, as far as what you are going to see and not going to see, gentlemen, I've still got way more stroke than you'll ever know. You in the truck, roll the tape. You sit down and shut up. Yeah, that parody, that caught some legit heat with, uh, obviously, with, uh, with the horsemen at the time. But, uh, you know, and everybody in the back in general. You know, the NWO back then, uh, it's no secret that they were obviously their own clique, their own group. And if you weren't a part of it, you know, if you weren't friends with them, you really weren't getting booked very high up on the card. And so, uh, you know, that it just caught a lot of, a lot of heat backstage because Arn Anderson's somebody that's been around for so long and respected by just everybody. We'll go into in depth a little bit later on, but – Eric Bischoff himself on his podcast, uh, 83 Weeks with Conrad Thompson, has said he regrets allowing it to ever take place. I remember the fallout from it. Um, I remember having to – I felt pretty bad about it, obviously. And as time has gone on, I feel even worse about it now than I did then because uh, I think I just have a better understanding of people and I'm probably more mature now than I was back then. You know, when I when you're caught up in television and constantly trying to outdo yourself and push the envelope and break the barriers and all the other things that think out of the box, you know, however you want to say it, you know, you, you sometimes become desensitized to how certain things can make people feel. And... In retrospect, probably one of the things I regret most in terms of allowing it to happen. I believe Terry Taylor was probably the agent, and I guess is why he, he would have been the target. Uh, but it's not really Terry's fault either. You know, you'll you'll not hear me spend a lot of time on this podcast defending Terry Taylor. I like Terry, um, but he did a lot of stupid shit uh, when he worked for WCW that that caused issues. But in this case, I don't think Terry was necessarily to blame either because the talent, you know, involved, they, they were, you know, they were walking pipe bombs. It was what it was and it happened and you can't put the bullet back in the gun, so to speak. So, you know, it's, it's, it was unfortunate. But I do remember there was a ton of fallout. Was it great TV? Absolutely. It was great television. Great television. But I can certainly understand how that great television had, especially when it affects your wife and your kids. You know, when you get that personal and you start weaving in, you know, personal issues like drinking and things like that, uh, that have really no place in a promo, you know, unless everybody's cool with it. And that's something that should have been discussed beforehand. Um, I can certainly see how that would have a, a really horrible impact on, on somebody's family and therefore the talent. You know, he probably does now. But at the time, you know, they were caught up in uh, those ratings, and uh, they were hot. We talked a little bit off the air. This was 97, 98. WCW was hot, man. What a – I mean, just what a time to be a wrestling fan. You know, like it, it just doesn't get any better than that unless, like what we said, unless you go back to the old Crockett stuff. Um, for WCW, man, this, this was a hot, hot uh, era. Uh, the horsemen cut out, uh, come out. They cut a promo in the ring on the NWO about the parody they did of Arms. I last week, for the first time, was embarrassed to tell anybody in this world that I was a professional wrestler. Iron Anderson, whether you liked him, didn't like him, followed his career, 
didn't follow his career. He is a legitimate, legend, human being, and a man. If there's one person in the world you can say is your friend, that is for life. And Art Anderson is my friend. Uh, the first match of the night, Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Eddie Guerrero by pinfall with a springboard Hurricane Rana. Got him! One, two, three, go! Mysterio Springboard Hurricane Rana for the victory! This would be Eddie and Rey's first singles match against each other in WCW. Uh, of course, about a month later at Halloween Havoc, they would have an instant classic with each other. And many think that, that that was their best matches of their career at, at that Havoc match, which hard to argue that. That was a great match that they had, and not a bad one here. No, you know, and actually we did a show about that Havoc, about that Halloween Havoc, and talked about that. You know, Ray and uh, Ray and Eddie, just, just two two legends, you know, and, and back then watching it, um, you know, I was never a Cruiserweight fan in the WCW. I just never, never caught on that bandwagon. But now that I've matured a little bit and been around and I look back, it's like, man, you know, I, I wish I knew then what I know now and, and appreciated it a lot more. Um, of course, Ray's, you know, everybody knows Ray Mysterio. You, that's a, that's a, a worldwide name. You know, Eddie Guerrero, um, gone way too soon. I, I kind of feel like they had their best, they, they had their best matches in WCW against each other. But I think that they both really came out of their shell when they both went to the WWE. Mean Gene Oakland on the ramp interviewing DDP. Lex Luger comes out. These two have been butting heads a little bit, so they agree to face each other later in the show. If I can't do it by words, maybe we got to do it in the ring. The way I look at it, whatever it takes to get over this hump, I'm all for it. Maybe we finally do agree on something. Now, if you've made the challenge, I accept on one condition that if I'm going to go back there and put my gear on and come out here and wrestle you tonight, that we do it right. And that means I'm not holding nothing back. Is that cool with you? DDP Lex Luger again, Prime WCW right here. Second match of the night, Hugh Morris, humorous, defeated Disco Inferno by pinfall after a no laughing matter moonsault. Alex Wright comes out, toss the TV title to Disco to assist him, but it backfires. How underrated was Hugh Morris for his size? Oh, man. You know, he was one of those big guys that could move like a little guy. He was just – I mean, his acrobatics, everything. He, honestly, he reminded me uh, a lot of Bam Bam Bigelow back in Bam Bam's prime, um, back when he could still move. And, of course, they both had the moonsaults and stuff. But uh, man, Hugh Morris was just just unbelievable. You know, he was he was Goldberg's first opponent because they knew Goldberg wasn't quite ready, and they knew Hugh could take care of him um, or build. And, and he did. Name, but yeah, absolutely. He did a solid for him. Took real good care of him. Um, I have a lot of respect for for uh, Hugh Morris and Bill DeMont. Uh, you know, his uh, daughter obviously was killed by a drunk driver. He's a very adamant. Uh, person against uh, drunk driving and DWIs and stuff. He's very vocal about it. Um, I know he had some issues later on, but man, Hugh, Hugh Morris, especially back in the, back in that era, was just unbelievable talent. 
We then get an NWO segment. Buff Bagwell and Conan agree to face the horsemen on behalf of the NWO. I'm putting it on the spot. Let's don't bring my dog Spot on this, okay? But since you put me on the spot, I'm going to give you my spot. My delivery spot? You guys will go down tonight and defend the NWO's position against the horsemen? Kev, I've got one thing to say. It would be an honor. They continue to play off this uh, Arn parody. Going back to that, uh, Arn Anderson was not a fan of this parody. He claims he had no idea exactly what they were going to do. He knew they were going to do something, but he didn't know exactly what. Uh, he more than likely had a drinking problem during this time. He's openly admitted he used to drink maybe a, a case, maybe two after a show. And this really affected him and his family. No one ever called us in and said, how, you know, how heavy this was going to get. Any of the verbiage, any of that stuff. We just kind of knew they were going to put on some kind of parody and, you know, and that's it. I didn't get any specifics. I didn't get, I wasn't asked. Like I said, I, you know, them leaning so heavy on the alcohol, you know, it's, I'm okay. What's going through my mind? Well, they've just, the whole thing, every bit of it on Kevin's part was about the booze. And just burying a guy with one frame of mind in mind, which is the drinking, that's what infuriated me. Not that they there was an attempt to get heat. I went to Nash's room after we got back from the arena because I wanted to ask him. If it was a personal attack, if I had heat with him, if this was, uh, you know, if this was his way to send to me, a, not Arn Anderson, but Marty Lundy, a message, you know, and Kevin looked me in the eye and he said, no, 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 it's just, we're just trying to get heat. We're just, we're working here. And I believe him, but I had to ask because it was so personal in the attack I felt, but it is what it is. So I did have that conversation with Kevin. It was what it was. Um, my wife was insulted more than me because I got a lot thicker skin. She's a regular human being and a pretty damn good one, to be honest with you. Uh, she's got a kind heart. She also knows this business is that, is entertainment business. Um, she, like me, just couldn't figure out that if they want to get heat on me, is that the only thing they're going to do? You know, is that all they got to use, you know, as a tool? This just looked like a Saturday night off the wall skit just to bury a bunch of guys because maybe some of those guys, not even me, had heat with other members of that group. If you read between the lines. Ended up having a talk with uh, Kevin Nash about it. But Arn was not a fan of this. Ric Flair, not a fan of this. You mentioned it earlier, a lot of guys in the back, not a fan of this. Uh, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Do you think they went too far? I think they did. You know, and, and back then, um, and we had talked about it before, back then they were on a kick of bringing real-life issues to the TV, you know, with Scott Hall's drinking problem um, and just even the WWE, you know, with Hawk, uh, stuff like that. You know, and this was a, you know, this was a big, big thing for – Arn. I mean, this was a life-changing, obviously career-ending situation, and uh, you know they're out there making fun of it, and 
you know, I mean, he, like I said before, Arn was respected by everybody. I've never heard anybody say a bad word about Arn, other than maybe Disco when he slapped the crap out of him on an airplane one time. But, uh, you know, everybody loved Arn. He's just, he's, he's you know, uh, kind of going back to that 80s term, he's a man's man. He went out there, he uh, kind of helped revolutionize the business. He was, a lot of people don't even give him enough credit for how he was on the mic. You know, he was a, he was from the eighties. Yeah. Um, he was, he was good. And I know I'm veering off a little bit, but I think, I think it went too far. I think it's something that never should have been done. I think it was extremely disrespectful. Evan Nash in a uh, shoot interview. I think it's wrestlers versus the world on YouTube. He claims Arn knew about it. He even used Arn's actual old styrofoam cooler that you'd get at the local stop and rob. They actually, they all thought it was funny. Until they called home that night and their wife said, you look like a bunch of boobs. It was the it was the retributional heat from the wives that caused the heat. I walked right by and looked at, looked at those guys. And I swear to God, I asked Arn for his cooler that I knew he had. It's like, it's, it's life imitating art, art imitating life. And Arn walks up like five beers in his hands, looks up and he says, why'd you do that? I just looked up in hands, pressed the button, and got on the elevator. Like, you know, it's like you guys drank every TV and tell them what Marriott's your worst of the rats would show up. I don't know. I think Arn, again, had an idea they were going to do something, but I believe Arn Anderson. I don't think he knew exactly what was going to be said, what was going to be done. You, you know, making fun of a man's disability like that and then um, bringing in his, his drinking issue, I, I thought was, personally, I thought it was a little too far myself as well. Yeah, you know, they, uh, I kinda, I, I believe that Arn knew that they were going to go out there and say something. I don't think that Arn knew that he was going to dress up like he did and he was going to basically just belittle and make fun of him as much as they did. And Arn has said that on his own podcast. That, yeah, this was you know, actually like an Arn Anderson tribute night and he's talked, hey, I've never had the, they've never showcased me like that. No, they've never gave me the, the parade, the, the attaboy and, that was kind of that night was special to him. They came out and just made a fool out of him. Yeah, you know, and I mean, ultimately, it was the uh, beginning of the end. I'd have to look back. I don't even know if he had another match after that. Uh, third match of the night: Chris Jericho defeated Brad Armstrong by disqualification after some Eddie Guerrero interference. Eddie, before the match, gets in the ring, gets on the mic, gets in Jericho's face. As Eddie Guerrero's arrived. With the microphone. Hey, 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 get him back, get him back. Last week, you got lucky. And I couldn't take care of things the way I wanted to. Now, Brad, man to man, brother. Step aside and let me get it done now. I don't have to wait until Sunday, okay? Hey, why don't you hit the bricks, boy, hey, before I whoop take you? Take it easy, man. Take huh? it easy, brother. Why don't brother? you take a hike? I'll whoop you. Brad Armstrong runs him out of the ring. Uh, Eddie interferes. Him and Armstrong both get uh, get on to Jericho, attack him. Uh-oh, and Guerrero's in. From behind! From behind, that's going to call for Bell. And going to end Brad Armstrong's chance of becoming Cruiserweight champ. This is not a bad move by Guerrero if he wants Jericho. Oh, he may not want him. He's got the lion tamer on. Jericho just sitting down on it. Not enough. Armstrong nailed Jericho. And I think the referee had called for the bell again. I'm not so sure if Eddie said, yeah, I give up or not. But nonetheless, they, they, they Ar- don't stop him. Ar- 
Strong and Guerrero both stomping Jericho. And what kind of condition will Chris Jericho be in Sunday at Fall Brawl? This was, I didn't mention earlier, this was the go-home show to Fall Brawl. Uh, Jericho and Guerrero would face each other uh, just a few days after this, but Eddie and Jericho, both legends. Brad Armstrong from the legendary Armstrong family. His dad, Bullet Bob, just passed away last week. Brad was a former Wrestling Observer Rookie of the Year, WCW Light Heavyweight Champion. He's held other titles and other various promotions. Highly spoken of by many legends of the business, including JR, Arn Anderson that we've been talking about, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Brad, or you had a conversation with him off the cuff, one of the funniest cats in the dressing room. Could pop anybody, could light anybody up. And as far as being a technician in the ring, he could work uh, Lucha style, American style. If he was in Japan, Japan style, whatever the style was, he could do it. But in the big stage, you know, in trying to get over, he was just, you know, he I don't want to say he was just because I was a big fan of his. And I don't want to disrespect him. He's no longer with us. But he, 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 he never got over at the level I thought should go with the, the kind of work that he could do. Poor guy just always given the worst gimmicks that would never get over though. Uh, no, he never got, he never got a good push and, and never got a push that he deserved. And, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's crazy is you look at his brother, you know, road dog, one of the most recognizable names, you know, Anywhere you go, you you say, "Oh, you didn't know." You know, everybody knows what you're talking about, and and you know, and at the same time, he started out. You know, as Jeff, or well, I say, started out. He uh, for a long time was Jeff Jarrett's roadie. You know, he didn't have a good gimmick, and it's it's just to me a lot of that is your talent uh, or your uh, directors, your writers, stuff like that, because they were able to push Road Dog one direction in the WWE. And then Brad just never, you know, he never got that. He never, I don't no. think he ever had the backing. They, uh, and everybody's always said he was the most talented of any of those, the, the Armstrong brothers, but they, they made him the candy man in some red and white striped tights. And he'd, he'd hand out candy canes to kids. Uh, they made him Arachnaman, which is a Spider-Man ripoff. Well, that didn't last yeah. long because Marvel wasn't too high on them copying uh, Spider-Man. They, they put another mask on and called him Bad Street, who is basically a fill-in with the Freebirds. That went as flat as a plate of yeah. this. The, then they called him B.A., one of the No Limit Soldiers. He was a rapper. And then uh, we mentioned his brother, uh, Road Dog. They called him Buzzkill for a while, which was a ripoff of his brother, Road Dog. But aside from drawing the short stick uh, from the gimmick box, highly underrated and, like I said, often said was the most talented of the Armstrongs. You know, but it's crazy because even when he went to the WWE, you know, he uh, he went in and made a career out of being a referee. Um, you know, so it, it kills me. And I, I think a lot of it is, if you ever look at him. I think his brother was a referee in WWF too, WWE. He was, absolutely, yep. Yeah. But you look at, uh, like, what I, what I believe that made Road Dog step out or stand out was Road Dog was this, inner, I think he had the energetic, he had the, I can go out and talk, I can do this. And if you look at Brad, Brad was real reserved. He could wrestle like no other. But he it was reminds real me of Bobby Eaton. Great in the If they, uh, Road Dog had the mic skills, the personality. Everybody uh, that I've heard uh, talk about Brad Armstrong said in the back, he was funny, he was outgoing, but put him in the ring in front of a camera, 
and he would almost freeze up. It wouldn't be himself. He would try. It just wasn't there. But, yeah, you know, Bobby had Jim Cornette as a mouthpiece. If somebody would have uh, been a manager for Brad Armstrong and been his mouthpiece, there's no telling how far that guy could have gone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The sky would have been the limit. Uh, just like Bobby. The, I mean, both of them just great in-ring talent. But you put that microphone in front of their face and they're just done. Well, uh, the end of October 2012, he went to the doctor for undisclosed medical reasons and a week later was found dead in his house at the age of 50. And I believe Jim Ross even spoke at his funeral. So really uh, well thought of in the business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's a shame. You know, of course, whenever, you know, whenever you're little, you think 50's old. But, you know, now that as I'm approaching, you know, 35, I feel like, man, and we're here, what, 42 or something like that? But, uh, Not that old. <laughs> but, uh, no, you know, you know, it was a bad deal, you know, and I, I never did hear what the actual cause was or what they determined. Um, but uh, it just, you know, it's sad and, and uh, great, just a great athlete. And I wish, I wish he could have got a better push. Uh, I believe uh, they think it may have been sleep apnea. Wow. And that's. You know, that's sad, you know, looking at how far that's come. And, of course, I didn't know anything about that either whenever I was younger, so I don't know what kind of technology they had. But I've got a lot of friends that, that have to sleep that uh, sleep apnea machine and stuff. And to think of, uh, you know, to think of uh, something so minute, you know, like that, actually actually taking your life, it, it's, it's just a bad deal. Bobby the Brain Heenan joins uh, Tony and Tanae at commentary. Hogan and Bischoff in the ring. They call out Sting. Ric Flair, you're not the man. I'm the man, brother. I'm the man that made professional wrestling. I'm the man with the biggest guns in the business. And I'm the man that is the only God in this ring. I'm just too big. I'm too rich. And I'm too tan for anybody around here. Sting, who's gonna be stung? I'm tired of his mouth. The title's on the line. Bring him out here. A mannequin then dressed as Sting, falls from the rafters. They pretend, pretend it was all a shoot and he was severely injured. Of course, it was a dummy, it was a work. Uh, then they put him in the ring, Hogan pins him. And ironically, about two years after this, this would actually happen to Owen Hart causing his tragic death. So uh, I don't know if you want to call art imitating life or life imitating art, but um, I don't think they would have done this after. I mean, obviously, after uh, if they would have known uh, what would have happened, I don't think we would have seen this. But can't, you can't predict you the know, future, right? And even Sting, uh, if you if you go back and look, Sting didn't uh, didn't repel from the rafters after Owen's accident either. They wanted him to. I remember. I remember seeing uh, seeing on YouTube or somewhere uh, he was doing a little shoot interview, and they still wanted him to keep that gimmick up. And he just told them, "No, it's you know it's too disrespectful." And uh, at the time, of course, Bret Hart was in the WCW. You know what a slap in the face that would have been. So, right, uh, they stopped it completely, which was what it needed to do. And and uh, you know it was it was a cool entrance for a long long time. Um, and of course. What had happened with Owens just a, was a tragic, tragic incident. But uh, I'm glad that this thing was able to step up and just and refuse to do something. 
Fourth match of the night, Rick and Scott Steiner, the Steiner brothers, uh, versus the Faces of Fear, Ming and the Barbarian, ends in a no contest after uh, Harlem Heat and then Wrath and Mortis interfere. Belly to belly overhead superplex by Scott Steiner, and the referee is out of commission. The tongue and death grip is on, and we've got bodies in the ring. Do we ever? Harlem Heat, Wrath and Mortis. Steiner brothers, Ming and Barbarian, DiBiase. Enemies going after enemies here. Wrath and Mortis after Ming and the Barbarian. Steiners. Now look at this. These are members of WCW. You don't see NWO people fighting each other, do you? Explain that to me. Those all uh, are going to be in a match again at uh, the Fall Brawl that's coming up. Fifth match of the night. Scott Hall defeated uh, Super Kolo by pinfall with an outsider's edge. Nowhere for Kolo to go. Look at this. Scott Hall showing his power. Ray Trailer comes to the ring after the match, attacks Hall, NWO comes out, they jump on the boss man, Big Bubba, Ray Trailer, whatever you want to call him, end up spray painting NWO on him. You know, we've talked about uh, several times, Ray Trailer <clears throat> was awesome. And it, it just seems like WCW never knew what to do with him. NWA, Big Bubba Rogers, awesome. WWF, Big Boss Man, awesome. WCW just couldn't quite figure it out. Same guy, no, you know, they, same skills. They, yeah, and they well, they gave him um, his. In my opinion, his best run in WCW was in the early '90s, uh, whenever he was the Guardian Angel. They had him as the Guardian Angel, and then he feuded with Sting and Vader, and had a little bit of a push, and and he was decent then. But whenever he came back to WCW, and he did the Ray Trailer gimmick, it was just some of the worst stuff I've seen. He was completely out of character, and the and the, the Guardian Angel worked because everybody knew who he was. He was the big boss man, right? He was the the prison guard from Cobb County, Georgia, and he'd been out there, and he did the same move set and everything. So they made him the the little bodyguard or whatever it was, so it kind of fit. But when you take that gimmick away from a guy who's made a career out of being, you know, a bodyguard or a or a, a, a prison guard. You know, you, you can't just throw him into something else. He was no longer Big Bubba. I would have liked to have seen him come out, you know, as Big Bubba. I think that would have been cool. But, you know, uh, he really broke out in his big boss man gimmick. He really came to life. You know, he, he got the, the uh, he became more charismatic. He became a good mouthpiece. That was some of his best work. And so they, they should have gave him something along the line of that. But, uh, you know, and that's, again, this whole episode, all these guys in WCW that are, you know, low-card, mid-card guys or, or uh, you know, legends that have come over, once they go to WWE or WWF back then, they exploded. They became, you know, Jer look at Jericho, Guerrero, um, Ray, uh, of course, Big Boss Man, like we're talking about now, all those guys became just main event stars in one company because they knew what they were doing. WCW just never had a clue. Uh, six match, Dean Malenko defeated Psychosis by submission with a Texas Cloverleaf. Get it on! The Texas Cloverleaf! Oh no, comes up, but he's too late! And Psychosis taps out. Wait a minute. Wait a 
just a minute, Malenko. Oh, it's Let's get some excitement out here. Let's get some real excitement out here. Malenko, I don't know who you're trying to impress with your 1,001 holes on some cruiserweight, but let's not wait till Sunday. And I'm serious, I know you've heard it a 1,000 times. Let's not wait. Let me have the chance tonight to get up in that ring. I came to wrestle. Let me have the chance to get up in that ring, put the figure four on you, and then I will be the number one contender, and that U.S. heavyweight title will be back around my waist where it should have always been. A fan runs in during this match, and Mark Curtis, the referee, knees the fan in the head, puts him in a guillotine chokehold until security is able to get the fan out. Injured now, out of commission on the shelf, not able to... We have someone in the ring, and I don't. I believe that may be a fan. And security has come out as the fan has come in, and we're going to focus and on. The, and the smallest referee in the world just took him down. Well, How tough know, is that guy? You're not kidding. <laughs> you see that front face lock by Mark Curtis? That'll teach you to get in the ring. You're not kidding. We're going to focus on what is happening in the ring now. Uh, Malenko gives the guy a little receipt too before before they take him out. Jarrett comes out, challenges Malenko, but uh, Mark Curtis, the referee, was nicknamed a shooter after this due to how he handled the fan. He was diagnosed with stomach and bowel cancer just a month after this, and exactly two years to this show, uh, lost that battle and died at the age of uh, 37. We called him uh, various nicknames. One was Shooter Hildebrand because a fan hit the ring one night, and, and he took the guy down before the boys got to him. I think he did it in WCW, too. Same thing. You know, he was just uh, – you can't say enough about Brian. He was always there to help and always worked hard and loved the wrestling business. Uh, you know, it, obviously, you know, when he passed away, everybody felt it. 37, man. That's so young. But I, I actually remembered that uh, <clears throat> when we were talking about this episode. Um, I remember him kneeing the crap out of the guy and then just uh, uh, wrapping him up and and, uh, and everything, you know. And he back then the uh, the fans that was that was I won't say it was a common common occurrence, but you've seen it, you know. And of course nowadays you don't ever see that because security is different, everything looks different, but. Man, you know, and, and guys like Nash and Hall even have, have done two interviews on that. You know, once you once you cross that barrier, you know, it's not a show anymore. Macho Man was, was really good about it. If you got in his way, man, Macho Man would lay you out. That's the way it ought to be. We, yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, you don't. Uh, you know. Stabbings and tennis and other sports were uh, just a few weeks ago. A guy broke in Sonya Deville's house and was going to kidnap her and, and – Kill Mandy Rose, and you just don't know anymore. So once you get over that barrier, it's a uh, it's game on. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but it was you know I, I looking back, I enjoyed watching the fans jump in just so I could see them get the crap kicked out of them. Um, I remember Triple H and and Austin were having a match one time in WWF or WWE, and uh, they had a fan come in and Triple H just beats the dog crap out of this poor guy, but. Uh, you know, just the ignorance. You know, what what makes you think that, that you're going to do anything in that ring? And it just it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, referee man. You know, 37 is young, real real young. And uh, he, uh, you know, he was there. I don't I don't know what how long his career was in WCW, but I, I, it seems like he was there for quite a while. Yeah, he may only weigh 114 pounds, but he wasn't scared to to uh, no. get your crap if you got in that ring. Yeah. So. 
Uh, mean Gene Oakland in the ring introduces Rowdy Roddy Piper as the new interim WCW commissioner. Piper killing it on the mic and made a huge impact in WCW here. It's like putting John Belushi in charge of the frat house. You folks ain't seen nothing yet. I have been president of the WWF and now I'm chairman of the board because I can't be fooled. I don't take dives and I don't do windows. You know, we've said several times, I I love these GM roles, these commissioner roles, these president roles, whatever. Um, You almost have to have some sort of authority figure. It makes the matches, that enforces the rules, but... um, you know, you still see that in NXT, but you don't really see that in, in AEW or on Raw or SmackDown anymore. No, you know, uh, <clears throat> a few weeks ago, uh, uh, Eric Bischoff came out on AEW, and uh, and I and I was really really hopeful that they were going to announce that he was going to be, uh, you know, the the GM or the commissioner or something, because uh, obviously he did a great great role of that in WCW and even in the when they switched over and, and to WWE. Um, and I think Eric's mouthpiece in his mind could really elevate AEW. But uh, it's a lost cause, you know, kind of like managers, you know, uh, which AEW's brought back. I do like that. I like that, you know, Arn is, is a coach or whatever, but a manager. Tully's managing the revival and stuff. But if you look in WWE, uh, you look back in the 90s, you know, you had – you know, every tag team almost had a manager. You know, Jim Cornette, Mr. Fuji, all these guys out there. And, uh, you know, Miss Elizabeth going back even that far. And now you just, you don't see them. You know, you've, you've pretty much got Paul Heyman. And and NXT it. has a few, but other than Heyman, um, her name is Elena Vega. That's about it on the, on the yeah. main rosters. But I think they that's need to a shame because that's a, that's a lost art, I think. Bring in Stephen E. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, bring him in. Obviously, he's he's worthless and he'll never make it. But uh, uh, no, great guy. He. But you know, but even look at look at. Okay, so look at mid states. How we have him have have Stephen E there. Stephen E is a huge mouthpiece. Everybody knows Stephen E and everybody loves him. To me, he's the Paul Heyman of mid states as far as as managers go. Stephen E is the Paul Heyman of mid states. I like, you like that. that yeah. But uh, but even mid states, even independent shows you go to, you still see managers coming out. Boy Bradford, you know, I I love his gimmick that he has, and it's it's just such a lost art. Because I think back to, you know, Bobby the Brain Heenan, you know, and, and what an integral part of history of wrestling history he was. And uh, of course, to me, he made a whole new career with the announcing. But you know, he was a he was a, a manager that could get in there. And, and everybody loved it. The weasel chance, you know, and there's, there was nothing more satisfying back then than a baby face getting his hands on a heel manager. And that's something that could still be over today. And I, I just don't understand why they've kind of just written it away and, done, you know, done away with it. I, I don't either. I'd like to see it back, though. Uh, seventh match, Ric Flair and Kurt Henning defeated Buff Bagwell and Conan by pinfall with a fisherman suplex, a.k.a. a perfect plex. Conan! Man, Kurt Henning was good. So underrated. Uh, him and, uh, you know, I didn't really see it at the time. You know, like you were talking about the luchadors, you didn't see you know, see it at the time of the cruiserweights, but how, how you've gone to appreciate it. I have gone to 
grown to appreciate Kurt Henning and Ravishing Rick Rude probably more than any other person in the business. Just to, I always had my favorites, but now that I'm getting older and I look back at some of this stuff, I'm like, man, those guys were good. Why why were they not pushed? You know, I watched uh, I watched Kurt Henning's. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. It, it on the WWE Network. They got the the video of the guy like a. Uh, Gosh, what is what I'm thinking, thinking of? I'm a little documentary. Him. Yeah, documentary. There it is. little documentary of him. And, uh, man, ever since I watched that, that was probably three years ago. Um, I've went back and watched a lot of Kurt Henning stuff. And, and like you said, just so underrated. That dude should have been a main event star. He should have been a world heavyweight champion. Um, one, of the, one of the most talented guys in the business back then. I'm not sure what kept him at that mid-card level from getting pushed, you know, pushed, pushed further. But, you know, he wasn't in WCW either. You know, he was the mid-car guy, the rap is crap cowboy guy. And, um, Should have actually been good. a horseman instead of, you know, he, they flirted with it. He yeah. would have been a, he would have been a good horseman. Yeah. And, and, and going back to what you say about Rick Rude too, man, ravishing Rick Rude back in the, back in the day. He would have been a good horseman. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. He, he would have fit that perfectly. You know, I mean, for Christ's sakes, they had Sid as a horseman. So, I mean, what, what more can you, you know? Had Mongo. How, how worse can you get? But uh, those guys were, of course, you know, they're both uh, passed away now. But, uh, man, they were both so, so underrated. Of course, uh, Rude, you know, was a world champion. Um, so he, he got his push. Um, but I, but I, like you, I never really appreciated it until until I got older. Main event of the night, Diamond Dallas Page versus Lex Luger ends in a no contest after the NWO interfered. No! Attacks both Luger and DDP. The Giant comes out, makes the save. Luger and DDP in the show by reuniting and hugging it out. Um, kind of a typical ending of a WCW uh, show during this time, though. Uh, the NWO comes out, and it's kind of chaos at the end. Yeah. Um, and how horrible was the Giant's spring gear? Well, they Just, tried to make him, you know, at first they wanted I know. to build him as Andre's son, and then... It was just so bad, you know. I look back at that, but you know, and there, let's look at that. Okay, so you've got you've got the giant, Paul White, and uh, you know, in WCW, you know, they they pushed him to the moon, right? His first, I believe, it was his first match. He won the the WCW Heavyweight Title against Hulk Hogan, and uh, surprisingly, that Hogan did that. Yeah, well, and from what I understand, Hogan's the one who brought him into WCW. Um, uh, Big Show actually talked about, you know, he met Hogan and his exact words were, you know, I did the worst thing you could ever do. And I did the imitation of what you going to do, brother, you know, and uh, and after that, he said, I was kind of embarrassed. I thought, man, that's it. I just I just, you know, blew my chance. But Hogan brought him in, got him everything. So, you know, I, I'm surprised he, he let him in his first match go over. But my point is WCW pushed that dude to the moon and he was still just a giant. He goes to WWE. And now he's the big show. And, you know, look at the legendary career that guy's had. He would have never lasted this long. They end up having a series on Netflix. Yeah. 
You know, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he has grown, he's been in movies and just, just everything. And he would have never, if WCW was still around, if they would have won the battle, Big Show wouldn't be where he is today. The giant, the giant character just wouldn't have made it. You had, to me, WCW was still a little bit behind. You had the Dungeon of Doom, you know, which as a kid, I enjoyed. You know, I remember thinking how cool that was. Um, but you go back and look now, you you had the kids watching WCW. You had your adults, you know, a lot of your adults watching WWE. Um, and they just, they just didn't know how to pair. They didn't know how to push people. And they had so much talent. Like you mentioned earlier, Ming and the Barbarian, uh, the Steiner brothers, Harlem Heat. Um, you know, all those guys are just legendary, legendary guys. And, you know, I, I look at, like, Harlem Heat. I was always a Harlem Heat fan. I loved Harlem Heat. And I, what I think about is, you know, what could the WWE have done with Harlem Heat back then? How big could they have been? Well, if Vince would have done any – if he'd do anything with tag teams – but, yeah, Harlem Heat yeah. would have been great. I mean. Well, you know, but look at the Nasty Boys, okay? So the Nasty Boys in WCW are just pretty much your hardcore guys going out there having mid-card matches. But even the Nasty Boys in the WWE or WWF back then, you know, they were getting pushed. And they, they just they, – they became stars there. And so, like, Harlem Heat, you know, when Booker T used to do that, that front flip into the leg drop um, as a finisher, man, that was just – to me back then, that was just – so awesome and the music hit you know and, and it's such a they, they had such an impact that uh we went to a house show um gosh i don't even know it's probably been five years ago or so uh, maybe even a little bit longer but uh they started playing that the harlem heat music for booker t you know and uh and man the crowd just went nuts he had, he had won a match and whatever and and uh they swapped his music over, and I mean, the crowd was going nuts. Everybody was on their feet, so everybody remembers Harlem Heat, and that's why I think if they were at the WWE back then, man, they would have they would have just been pushed to the moon. Uh, Twitter polls: Did Kevin Nash cross the line with his Arn Anderson parody from September first, nineteen ninety seven edition of WCW Nitro? Thirty six percent said yes, and sixty four percent said no. That was a little surprising. Yeah. Uh, at, at Jill underscore on underscore TWTR says, doing a parody was fine. Bringing up double A's drinking cross the line. Still on a, still an all-time classic promo would be more so had they not gotten so personal with it. Uh, at Sportsnut for Life 7 says it was a work. And at Domain underscore Johnson, it's a, it's a rock parody account, says the croc says if Arn isn't pissed off about it, it doesn't matter. Well... Arn was a little pissed off about it. You know, and a lot of it, and I don't know how old the viewers are that are, that are taking the, the Twitter poll and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of it may be that people have come accustomed to it because, like we said, you know, there was so much, there was so much uh, real life brought into the TV back then that uh, you know maybe maybe they're accustomed to it, and that's why they why that's why the they said it wasn't crossing the line, but. Man, I tell you what, I growing up as an Arn Anderson fan, and I've said this a lot. He was one of the first matches I ever, ever seen. It uh, and it hurt, you know. I, I just Arn Anderson's another one of those guys, another one of those mid card guys, tag team guys that should have been world heavyweight champion, and never, never was. Um, 
him and Henning go hand in hand. And, and like, and, you know, back in the NWA days, you know, uh, of course, Flair was always Ric Flair. You know, you can't, you can't ever compete with Ric Flair on a mic back then. But I would say probably the second best in the business was Arn. Arn had that methodical way to, methodical way to speak to people and do his, do his promos and stuff. Want to take this, Nick Roberts? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, there's another one, man, Jake Roberts. You know, if he would have been able to keep his uh, uh, personal demons to rest, you know, he's another one that should have been the heavyweight champion. Um, there's just so many names that back then that that should have been uh, that never got it. Well, that was a WCW Nitro from September eighth, nineteen ninety seven. Follow us on Facebook at the Slop Drop on Twitter at the Slop Drop One. Wherever you get your podcast, we're probably there. Leave us a good rating, a good review. Doesn't cost you a penny, but it helps us a lot. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And until next time, we're out of here. See ya. Goodbye and good night.